Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey friends, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia. Welcome to another episode. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're queer. Lord knows I need a beer because it's getting towards the end of finals at school and I'm stressed out. I'm trying to keep up with all my shit. But you know, we're making it through. We're making it through the wilderness. I know we'll make it through. Never knew how lost I was until I found you. I'm really into lyrics these mornings, apparently. Just a couple of announcements. I've got a new video coming up on my YouTube channel, which should be live by the time you're listening to this. It's about Bethel's once gay or changed movement that they've started. It's another ex-gay ploy, like, repackaged and reworked with, like, you know, less problematic language, but overall just the same shitty theology that's been killing our people for way too long. So if you want to watch that and share that, it's over on my YouTube channel. Go check that out. Additionally, the uh, Queerly Beloved Tees store is back up online now that my dear Donald is back from his European adventures. Um, we're back to shipping things. And if you want to get your church's shirts, uh, we do have bulk discounts available. So if you want to, go ahead and head over to queerlybeloved.shop. Check out the thing about large orders. Send us an email and we will definitely get you taken care of sooner rather than later. Especially because Pride season is coming up, baby. You don't want to be walking around with... Uh, with no cute shirt on, not letting people know that you love Jesus at the same time you also love your gay ass. So get your shit over there and get it done. Also, if you hear an airplane flying overhead, it's because I'm recording outside because it is such a nice day today. And if you don't like that, if you thought, oh, it's not studio perfect, then you know what, girl, go back my uh, go back my Patreon. Give me the coins so I can get actual dollars in here. You know what I'm saying? Speaking of, before I move on to that, I wanted to make an appeal to you my friends i have gotten to the point this semester where i've been putting out a lot of content more content than i've ever put out in my entire you know career you know basically up to three videos a week and a podcast a week and that's a lot of work in addition to being a student and also having to pay my bills uh and you know unfortunately what sucks is that when i don't have support when i don't have people like you backing me on patreon and there's not a lot I can do in order to do that. Um, you know, I, I I really do rely on people like you, regular, everyday listeners. According to my analytics, there's 1,600 people who listen to A Tiny Revolution on a weekly basis. 1,600 downloads. And so I'm wondering if you or somebody out there, you, if you can spare a dollar or $5 or even $10 a month to help make this possible. If all 1,600 people were able to just chip in a dollar, I mean, I could pay my bills. And then I can continue to create this work in a way that's sustainable for me. Because yesterday I had a huge crying fit by myself because I realized I'm experiencing burnout. Because I'm worried about how am I going to pay my bills and also get my content up and also do school well. You know, it's, it's a whole to do. So if you're someone out there and you've not been uh, supporting your creatives online, like, you know, this shit isn't free. You know, we still have to pay for hosting services. We still have to pay for this. And also, just we have everyday regular bills like the rest of you motherfuckers out there. Um, you're not a motherfucker. Um, unless you're a badass motherfucker. I'm so sorry I'm cussing so much. But, like, you knew the deal when you were walking in here, didn't you? Anyways, um, 
So this is just me straight up asking, if you have not become a sustaining partner, please consider doing that today so that we can continue to make a tiny revolution happen and um, allow the creatives in your life, aka myself, to be less stressed out. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia. Anyways, onward to the conversation today. I am so happy uh, about this talk I have today with my friend Darren McKenna. He and I have known each other for way, way longer than a lot of people. Um, in my life now, and by that I mean like maybe close to five years now, or something around that. Here's a little bit about Darren. He was born and raised in Lilburn, Georgia, not far from Atlanta where I live now. He did his undergrad at Georgia Tech and also worked as a college pastor for a few years at a church in Atlanta, which we will get into during our conversation. He then moved to Pasadena, California, where he finished up his master's in theology at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he's currently working as a pastor at New Abbey Church in North Hollywood, their new campus that they're launching. Um, and also, uh, New Abbey Church is the same church as Britt Barron, who's also been on the podcast before. Um, he also works as an Enneagram coach at The Christian Closet, which is Candace Zubernat's gig, and also the lovely and talented Cassie Green, who's also been on the podcast. He's bisexual, he is a certified coffee snob, he's a bit of a Broadway baby, and he has a super and he's super passionate about bringing healthy aspects uh, into everybody's life where it's self-care therapy, working out, eating right, being in the sun, being off technology. You know, he's someone who's really trying to prioritize that. He talks about faith. He talks about his journey with faith, sexuality, and the Enneagram and a bunch of other things on his website, DarrenMcKenna.com. But yeah, he's one of my dearest, dearest friends. So go ahead and go grab yourself something to drink, grab yourself some coffee, grab yourself, you know, your morning rituals juice. I don't know what you're drinking. (laughs) And enjoy this conversation with my friend, Darren McKenna. Who is Darren McKenna? It's a question I'm still trying to answer. Aren't we all? Um, The deep deep ones. Yeah, here we are. We're already there. Um, Well, I would say I'm a pastor and I would say I am queer. And I would say I'm an Enneagram coach. And really what I want to do with my life is to build the better church, the church that's mm-hmm. attentive to everybody, attentive to queer people, that is uh, valuing all parts of everybody's being and figuring out how they work together, given all the information we're learning. So that's what I'm doing with my life. I love people and I'm for health. I'm for health. There it is. That's my new Instagram bio. I'm I am for health. Period. I'm for health. I'm for health. <laughs> you for health? Um, I think I'm for health. Yeah. I'll be down for health. All right. All right. Yeah. Healthcare for all. Health in um, other aspects as well. Let's go. Hold on, yet. Um. So, Darren, how do we know each other? When did we first become friends? Because uh, th- you can you can tell me. Okay, well, I know we met, but when we became friends is a, probably a different time. I think maybe. Yeah. No, I Cause think because I, I feel like, honest to goodness, like when I fir- so me and Darren, <laughs> we got. I'm gonna answer the question for you now. <laughs> you can do that. We met. We met at church at yep. uh, a little place called Grace Midtown. Grace Midtown attending. You were at the time the student life pastor or yeah, what, college, what pastor, college pastor, assistant college pastor. I don't remember at what point, you know, in that area. Yeah. 
And um, I think like the first time that we got lunch at Tindrum, like I instantly like just loved you to pieces. But I also uh, think that you were like a little hesitant on like how to be friends with me at the time. Just like I don't know who this kid is or what he's trying to do. But, yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to know what you were about. <laughs> this is like early days of your blog, and so I only read a little bit. You were kind of just getting in at Grace Midtown, so I was trying to get to know you. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, we were we lived in the same apartment complex, and we held each other when we lost the 2016 election. Uh, oh, oh, what a what a night! Let's just be real. The amount of whiskey that had already happened to make to bring us that moment. Yeah, um, it was backs, quite a bit. It was Pickle quite backs. a bit. Well, was... That's what I was taking with uh, with Steph. Yeah, <laughs> we're just doing pickleback. Oh, after pickleback. Yeah, I know. Like, oh my god, we got another state, and now it's like, oh my god, we lost another state. <laughs> just it drug on. See, the thing about elections on the East Coast is that you know you start getting the coverage at like six p.m. But so it, you start at six p.m. You start at six p.m. So if you're having an election party, like you're starting at six, but you don't like get to know anything good until like one a.m. So like, let's just talk about some hours there that's that's a marathon and if you don't yeah. treat it like a marathon which i did not that night no oof, did i lord jesus <laughs> but, yeah, but um, okay but before that there's a there's a better story of when we became <laughs> friends oh no yeah you we can't we're not we're not missing this one okay well you know you can i, I want you can tell from your perspective because i'm sure it's okay. more accurate than mine <laughs> So Kevin and I had been getting to know each other, you know, just little by little. And he, uh, Kevin, you, did you, I think you had just finished some sort of job or something, or there's some job issues going on. Yeah, I think I was like trying to figure out where I was going to work or something like that. Yeah, it was one of those like existential, like, oh, I lost my job. It was, I lost my job that day. That's right. You lost your job that day. And for some reason, I don't know if I ran into you or we texted. I feel like this is like before we were like really friends. Yeah, um, I, think you, I think you texted me and like you said, I saw like your post. I'm really sorry. Do you want to go grab a drink? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, let me let me buy you a drink. Uh, so we went to SOS, this delightful oh, tiki yeah. bar in uh, Decatur, Georgia. And it's we... coming back to me now. <laughs> We got drinks and we we're just talking about life, how it sucks. And now let's be also put it on the table that at this point I was a pastor, I wasn't out. Um, and so like Kevin and I weren't having those conversations. Um, yeah, we were but just generally being friends. Yeah. Just like getting to know each other. And I really like losing your job sucks. Financial insecurity. Like when that happens, just like buy that friend a drink, like yeah, show them some love, it. show them that you're going to, uh, yeah help them out with the things they need. Yeah, um, the, the real important things, like yeah. uh, what, high quality booze. Yeah, yeah, high quality booze, like, you know, rent will happen, right? But, you know. Yeah. Um, so we're chatting, and I, I think we were talking about, like, alcohol and, like, how much is too much. Maybe one of us said we were yeah, feeling like the drink. Our, our, yeah, what our bodies could process. Yeah, and, and I was like, man, when I started drinking uh, in college, or um, I just, like, it was just, I had a really high tolerance. Like it took a lot for me to even feel anything. And I was like, mm-hmm. but lately, it just, it doesn't <laughs> like, I, I just can't process alcohol as well as I could. And Kevin, the jerk <laughs> that he is, he doesn't even know me. We're not friends. 
we're not friends. He uh, looks at me in the eye and (laughs) he says, Darren, that's called your 30s. And I looked at him in the eye and I said, fuck you, I'm 26. (laughs) And this entire time, Kevin had been operating under the assumption that I'm like in my 30s somewhere. Um, Yeah, like you were just so mature. so mature let me tell you so mature and i'm and like so mature and you gave off like these like delightful like caring dad vibes and oh yeah but i mean i've been a dad since i was in high school let's be real so <laughs> like i mean not like literally and like biologically but like as far as the vibe the dad vibe has been there yeah it's it's more like a, a lifestyle choice yeah i yes i chose this would, would, an alternative lifestyle an alternative lifestyle, yeah. The single childless dad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just like Caitlyn J. Stout, super dad. Ah, uh, so dad. And um, her favorite, also, Sue Ann. You know, yes, dad for days. Yeah, the, the Christian boyfriend we've been waiting for. Yes, of course. Um, But yeah, that's... uh, And to this day, I've never lived it down. And, no. Um, you will never actually, live it down. No, I never want to live it down because that's like one of my favorite stories. And like, look at us. Now. And now like we're also like we're about to turn. We're both turning 30 this year. Yep. Um, that and is a thing. we are becoming the best versions of ourselves. We are. Who knew? Who knew that that conversation would launch us, you know, one day into our 30s? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the deepest of thoughts. So, oh, um, so you, um, so you, we, lived, we knew each other. Um, we still know each other. Um, we do. Yeah, we used to know each other. But we, um, you moved to LA to finish up graduate school and pursue ministry opportunities out there. Yep. And you're now uh, helping plant the new campus of New Abbey, uh, North Hollywood. That's right. Which is really starting to take shape. So, first of all, tell me about New Abbey and who you are all. Like, what's your shtick? What is our shtick? So, yeah, give me the pitch. All right, the pitch. Um, New Abbey is a Jesus community um, doing our best to be the church in a place like Los Angeles in 2019. Uh, we are very attentive that the world has moved on, that the story of God, that our own stories, but the story of God we see in Scripture has been moving somewhere from the very beginning. And it's moved outward. It started with if we want to look at the narrative of the Bible as a narrative, we see a couple moving to all the way to the family of Abraham. And we see that moving into a larger tribe, to a nation, to all the ends of the earth. And now we're pressing forward and that this thing was always getting bigger. And we're doing our best to recognize that given everything we have coming at us uh, in 2019. Because there's a lot of things we know now in 2019 that we didn't know in you know, 300 AD, uh, or at better, better yet, CE, common era, let's be a little, little less Christocentric, I guess, or Christian centric, well, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what we do. And uh, there are, we're queer inclusive of gender minorities, sexual minorities, all of that. Uh, The two of us pastors are queer on this staff. And we're uh, two are also people of color, and we're trying to do this work of racial uh, work. I don't want to even call it racial reconciliation because it's work to do this stuff well, uh, given the era we live in, in the climate we live in, the culture we live in, the policies we live under, and the rhetoric we're hearing. Mm-hmm. How do we actually confront that um, 
with people, with the faces that are actually in front of us of who is actually given to us to pastor and nurture and grow. So that would be our thing. Right now we're in Pasadena, California. Uh, That's the, where the first church has started. It was started around six years ago. And uh, a guy named Chris, who we call my work husband, um, Mm. he and I are the pastors of the North Hollywood uh, campus, essentially. And we're slowly starting that. So right now it looks like a small group that meets in North Hollywood every other week. We've had some amazing times and we've just been focusing around some passages in the Bible that we really find important uh, to our stories. So we've talked about the Ethiopian eunuch, a gender and uh, racial minority come, being the first Gentile uh, brought into the kingdom of God um, in uh, Acts. And we've talked about the woman with an issue of blood and we talked about the and Jairus's daughter and Jesus's radical act of bringing them back into societal status, uh, people who didn't have as much value as other others might have in that society. So right. we're, we're just paying attention to these stories right now in our specific North Hollywood community of those that uh, were unlikely uh, to be included, but yet for some reason they were included and that story was told, which is telling us something bigger about who we're supposed to include today mm. so that's a shtick does that feel like our shtick i mean i couldn't tell you i'm not a part of it but yeah it yeah that's true like a pretty good stick for me i'm feeling like good it. about it yeah i would <laughs> i would attend that church yeah um, you know what i find so refreshing about that whole the whole pitch is like i think what uh so many churches have trouble like i guess we can even see this as like with like what happened with the umc is that like there's this large you know political body known as the umc that has to make decisions as a large political body because they established these rules based in a very particular time yeah um and now it's almost getting to the point where i'm just like oh my gosh like is i think about like you know people say like the church is dying i'm just like you know like maybe certain versions of the church are dying but like i i have a lot of hope in things like when i hear about things like new abbey or um all these other kind of like new progressive startup churches mm-hmm. that may not be the biggest churches in the area, but you can be for damn sure that they're preaching the right thing and they're reaching the right people. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. doing the work. We, we, I don't know how to say this, but I feel like we're just being more attentive to uh, the lives that are in our midst rather than thinking, I don't know, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but there's a thought in my brain and it's not connecting. So I'm just going to be real about that. Well, I think what, I think what, I think I might see it. So you can tell me if I'm right. It's just that you're not trying to pay attention so much to trying to get every single person to come to new Abbey as much as you are. Who are the people who are right in front of me and how can I help them be a part of this community? That's brilliant. Yeah. We've literally never spent a dollar on like advertising or marketing. That's just not interesting to us right now. Um, We are, we do have a, a presence online like we're not like anti being out there in the world and people seeing us but we would just rather spend our money on helping our neighbors keep their lights on or we would rather spend our money and loans for people in our community that have something going on where they can't pay their rent that month uh, mm-hmm. that's something we firmly believe something that i had never heard this before said like this and the first time i heard it it was just such a like holy shit, why isn't this like the normal in the church? But 
Corey says, if you can come to the communion table and you can't pay your light bills, but I can come to the communion table and I can pay my light bills, we're not honestly coming to the table of communion together. Hey. Right? That's so important. Are we actually doing this thing where we're supporting each other in what and how we need things, our actual yeah. like physical uh, existential needs, but also um, our spiritual and emotional needs? Like both have to be a part of a church community. And we're just serious about that. And uh, yeah. we're going to go bankrupt for generosity before we go bankrupt for anything else. Um, especially with the people that are in our community or the people that our community has identified as our neighbor who we are trying to help and love. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I I think with that, like, that's always been my big critique of like large mega churches is that like, how come that is, do you have a youth group room that costs you $10,000 to renovate and put up all these big old screen TVs and like, you know, state of the art sound equipment, but like Atlanta mission up the street, can't mm. keep their lights on or can't keep their programming or can't expand their programming or expand right. their staffing. Because or they pay their the staffing capital. a living wage, you know? Yes. Just I those should. things matter because if you don't have a healthy staff in your ministry or your church, if they're having to spend their entire lives worrying and frustrated about money and whether they're going to make the next paycheck, they're not living at their capacity. They're not flourishing and they're not doing the kind of work that they have been, I don't say blessed to do, like to get all churchy up in here, but God has given them something that if they're having to spend all of their energy taking care of their finances or having anxiety or worrying, uh, they're not going to be able to do the thing that God gave them to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to recognize that as churches. How do we how do we do church well? Mm-hmm. And that means supporting our staff appropriately. There's obviously we see all the time on the other side of that pastors who get paid exorbitant amounts of money and who need another jet. And we have to be very honest and critical of those too. And ask the question, like, how much is it appropriate for you to make as a pastor in your neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I think that that's, that's my also like at that, at the point I'm like, right now, like I'm like working on stuff with like North point ministries. So I keep thinking of Andy Stanley, I'm like, you have, you know, how many satellite campuses that are breaking in millions and millions of dollars a week. Your staff is how large uh, your productions on Sunday morning. And they are de- certainly productions. How much are those costing you? And then my question is how much are you paying the celebrity to speak mm. every single Sunday? And, I, and I'll be real. I'm just like, there's a big part of me. I'm, I'm not saying that like, you know, you can't be like a famous speaker and go speak places and let that be your right. income. That's fine. But let's just be real about it. that's what you are. You are the teaching pastor or a, or a teacher within this body that people are paying you to teach. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't call Andy Stanley necessarily a pastor, you know, mm-hmm. because he does not know. He doesn't know his flock. His flock might know his voice, but just like, uh, it, it's just, it, it bothers me. I'm just like, if you, you don't know what's going on in your local context, you are having like, like if, if you can't address some, a problem yourself as like, a pastor, I'm like, I wonder if like, do you deserve that title? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's very difficult questions. And I really hesitate to draw strong lines, uh, just because I do know the tension of being a pastor now in two different churches in two different cities, uh, and even two different philosophies and value sets. And I just, it's just so complex. So I don't, 
want to, as a rule, just write anyone off. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, you said, uh, you know, the flock knows your voice. And I just could not stop thinking of that passage that the good shepherd knows the voice of their sheep, right? Mm-hmm. The good shepherd knows their sheep's voice. And I just wonder for uh, pastors in that kind of setting, do they know any of their sheep's voice? Do they know um, the people that are in their community, what they sound like, what they're saying, what they're talking about, what they're, yeah. what they're thinking about? Their house. Yeah. Well, a lot of what? I said what the water quality is in their house. Yeah. What is the water quality? They yeah. don't know. And, that, and that's, that's something I've got from Alicia Crosby about just like solidarity. Yeah. I'm just like, if I know what the water quality is of the people who I claim, like that's that breathing the same air. Mm. Um, and that's what I think. I hope that the next iteration of church, whatever it's going to be, is one in which we are all drinking the same water. Yeah. We all breathe the same air. We know what's going on. And what I like about you saying, this is like what you said, like when we come to the communion table, if we are coming and one person can pay the light bills, but the other person cannot, like that is not true communion. That is uh, sharing a snack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. And I love that. And I hope, I honestly, I mean, I already said this to you. I was like, I really hope that we get to work together in ministry someday. You know, it's going to happen. I don't know I, when or how at all, but yo, it's going to happen. It's going to be so ballin'. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. New um, Abbey, Atlanta. I'll, I'll take New, it on. New Abbey, Atlanta. Let's go. I, hey, I'll even come back for that one. I miss Atlanta. It is a really fun town. Although maybe we might be trading places because I'm trying to. <laughs> End up on the, I don't know where I'm going to end up. That's, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a hard one because let's be real. I do love Atlanta. That hasn't changed. But damn, I also love me some SoCal. <laughs> it's, a, it's just the vibe of it is so delightful. Uh, it's awesome. It was such a good be, transition. Oh, by the way, I'm coming, to, I'm coming to California first week of April for spring break. So let's oh, hang out. Hell yeah. All right, cool. cool. I got you in. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so let's talk about um, what were the other things you wanted to talk about? Like we're talking about New Abbey, talking about us, talking about evolving faith. Um, do you want to talk about your work as an Enneagram coach? Yeah, because sure. That seems like A, something everyone loves to talk to hear about. And B, I don't exactly know what you mean by what, when, what do you mean when you say Enneagram coach? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um so yeah, there's so much on the Enneagram these days. It's uh, it's actually hard to like you know parse out all the information. So um, yeah, Enneagram coach. What that looks like with me is I, I really recommend at least uh, two sessions. Uh, and the reason being is this is because what the Enneagram is it's a tool that allows you to find some self awareness for who you are and for your patterns and the things in your life that you've developed. Uh, that are necessary for you to interact in the world and feel uh, like you belong. So we all develop these certain ways of being, acting, behaving, thinking, uh, based on the ways that we were raised. And so the Enneagram is a tool that identifies nine different motivations um, that everyone has one of these, is what Enneagram wisdom would tell us. And we live in ways and we start kind of going on autopilot in these nine numbers and these nine energies, if you will. And the Enneagram is a tool to help you realize what is really motivating you at the core. And it, once you figure out what that is, you can actually start to wake up 
and mm. get off of autopilot and actually recognize the patterns and behaviors that you sometimes feel beholden to that you don't even right. know that you're doing, right? Yeah, and you just know that it's like your uh, knee-jerk reaction. Right, yeah. You just don't realize it until, but the Enneagram gives you kind of the, uh, the ability to see that, right? right? And so what we do in a session for as a coach is first we figure out where are you with the Enneagram. Um, do you need, just need to know what your number is, uh, which is what motivation you are? And if so, we can, there's a test. I used to be so anti-test, but I found one that I uh, really like um, that's really? helpful. Um, it's a $10 test, um, which isn't Invest super in your future, expensive. people. Yeah, invest in your future. That's right. And so we figure out what your number is. We talk about healthy ways of handling the Enneagram because Enneagram is not a tool to box you in. It's not a tool for you to be, uh, to say, oh, I'm a two, so I just do this. I'm a two. And yes, I do just do this, but being a two is, should not be my excuse for doing anything, right? It's yeah, for our awareness. Being an, yeah, because like I, the thing I hear from eights all the time is just like, I'm just going to be an angry bitch because I'm an eight and that's just <laughs> what I do. I'm like, no, you oh. don't get to treat people like shit just because you're angry and you're an eight. That's exactly you have to right. recognize that like, that's not okay. Like, right. Not well, nice. And the Enneagram is a tool to help you recognize where the patterns in your ways of being are no longer helpful. Because no, we can't always operate one way in every situation. Can't always uh-huh. operate with the same like mental frame and emotional state in every situation. We have, the world is way more complex than that. And so we uh-huh. have to learn how to step outside. So when people say like, oh, I'm just this, this is what I, who I am and this is all I can do. I actually say, well, you've missed the point of the Enneagram because your number is exactly the thing that you're not. Your number is all the personality and decisions and motivations that you have put on top of yourself throughout your life that over this actually free person who can choose what they want to say, do, or be. And so your number is just your favorite way of coping with the world that you go to instinctively. It's not actually who you are. Because we are all inherently free people made in the image of God. So mm. we have to recognize that what this is supposed to do is give us the awareness to say no sometimes or even lean into our personality sometimes uh, when it makes sense, when it's helpful, when it's beneficial to the world and figure out what gifts does that personality offer to the world. So in a session, we'll kind of talk about some of that at the beginning and I'll give you some tools and some things that you should be aware of over the next two weeks. And we'll come together two weeks later uh, and we'll talk about, all right, so we talked about these things and I told you to look out for this happening in your life or think about when you do this, how, what is your mental or emotional or physical state? And we come back two weeks later and we discuss. And those two weeks of awareness, kind of directed awareness to certain parts of your life really begin to show us where the work you have to grow is. And then together we start charting out a pathway towards growth and health. Um, So that's Enneagram coaching. And then, you know, we can always do, I do sessions beyond that, of course, where we just continue to talk. Oh, maybe you want to talk Enneagram in relationships. Maybe you want to go deeper and talk about subtypes. Maybe you just want to process your life with the language of the Enneagram. We can always continue to do that. Um, but that's kind of the primary thing I like doing 
is helping people get that experience of awareness and a handle so that they can go on throughout their lives and continue to learn from other Enneagram teachers and books and bring in all this wisdom uh, to, for their own personal growth, whether or not they have a coach. Um, right. And recently, I've been doing some actual couples counseling, essentially, uh, through the Enneagram. No, I'm not a licensed you know, marriage family therapist, so I don't call it counseling. We call it Enneagram coaching. Um, but we, we can work with couples and help them identify each of their Enneagram numbers uh, and what does that look like for each of them to grow as individuals? And how do they have compassion on the other for, uh, for the ways that they just naturally react towards each other? And how do they better relate? And how do they understand themselves better and the other person? So that's always a super fun journey is doing that with a, with a couple who gets to do a process of both self and other discovery. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. I love it. And you work with uh, the Christian Closet. Correct? The Christian Closet with uh, Candice Zubernot. She's a fantastic woman who uh, friend, actually friend goes. Of the show. Yeah, friend of the show. And um, she goes to New Abbey as well. Um, it's all online based. Um, all of her therapy. Uh, there's also a life coach at the Christian Closet as, as well as me as an Enneagram coach. We do it all online. Uh, Candace and I just happen to also live in the same city. Um, Wait, Candace lives in Pasadena? Oh, girl. Yes, she does. I thought she... Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Come out here. We have candy and awesome things out here. You're going to love it. Yeah, I can... Don't you know I'm trying to do abs by 30? God damn. <laughs> okay, I say we have candy, but damn it. I haven't had a single piece of candy in like four months. So that's where we are. I mean, I'm really proud of you for that because I literally ate like so many Girl Scout cookies yesterday. And <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we haven't got, we haven't started the, the keto yet. Um, I don't know how or when I'm going to start that, but like, it's probably going to be like after spring break. <laughs> I guess I literally just need to get through these next two weeks because I am sore behind. Um, yeah, I love that, and I also love that this is something that you taught me about because I think I remember like <laughs> the first, like I thought I was a seven. You thought you were a seven. I was like, girl, no, <laughs> that was never but like, true. <laughs> but like, did you know, like from the get go, I said, you're a seven. And you're just like, oh, no, you're not. Uh, I, I'm going to say no. Cause I never know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't tell anybody their number. As I got to know you, I started to like feel pretty strongly that you were not a seven. Um, but it was never helpful to tell you that, right? Like it's, it's not helpful to say, Hey, you're thinking about yourself wrong. Like, what is that? No, you actually, there's work you can do and things that you can learn from the seven and from Mm -hmm. that kind of way of being, we all can act different ways and have different energies at different times. And it turns out yours is also like Mm -hmm. a wing. So there's some work you can potentially do there. So it's not harmful. Um, but, but like we were, I think we, we were going to get like Chinese food. No, and... we were, was it, I think, you know, we had this, this was the day I came out to you officially. Oh my God. That's right. We had bubble tea. Yeah. We had boba. Yeah. We had, we got and... boba and I officially came out to you. It was kind of like, cool, big surprise, all those kinds of things. I and... thought that I was, I, I stayed quite demure. I was just like <laughs> smiling, nodding. Yes. I understand you were in a safe place. Yes. Oh, you are so sweet. It was it was a wonderful conversation. And driving back, we 
we started talking about the Enneagram and I remember maybe like the newfound confidence of like just having having or just having had a coming out conversation. I was like, so we're talking Enneagram and like, did you ever read the eight? And I don't know if you remember your answer, but you're like, actually, no, I just like started reading through and I got to the seven. I read it. It was me. And I stopped. And I was like, no, no, now I get it. (laughs) That's exactly what I did. I was like, oh, my God, the seven. I just make it made sense for me in the moment. But like the work of the seven is like you got to lean into your pain. Yeah. And so I was leaning into my pain and I was just getting (laughs) fucking angry all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I just gently was like. Hey, let me pull up the Enneagram Institute website while I'm driving, and I'm going to give you my phone, and I want you to read about the eight for a second. Um, you know, just in case. You probably have something to learn from that, too. <laughs> LOL. And like the first thing I read, like, like the first couple paragraphs, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it. I remember, like, looking, we were driving down Ponce back to East Atlanta, and I remember looking over at the passenger seat, and I just like, I, I saw like, I feel like I saw some tears, like, and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this isn't like, if these are tears, which I, you know, I was driving. They, so I didn't they, get a, they, they probably were. Um, I was like, the, there's something very vulnerable happened here, which vulnerability is very hard for an eight. And yeah. I was like, this, this means that Kevin probably wants to jump out of the car right now. Um, oh, I wanted I wanted to be far away from you. <laughs> oh yeah, and you just like you like went inward, which is a very eight thing. With eights oh, going yeah. to five in stress, you you kind of take on that more withdrawal stance, and you become you your vi- inner world becomes way more vibrant, and you get all in your head. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a that was like that was just a good day. It felt like we had some mutual yeah. self disclosure where I'm like, hey. I'm queer, and then I was also like, "Hey, you're an eight. You're an eight. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah, it was good." And what I also like about our friendship in general is that we can also just like be bored with things together. It's like we can talk. We could like I like being friends with you because you're one of the people in my life that um, I can be bored with being gay with. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like we can just we can bitch about literally anything else and then also talk about like food and fitness and like body image which is also like do you want to talk about body image a little bit because i think that'd be something fascinating to hear yeah we can we can do that i don't i yeah i'm on a as you know i'm on my own personal hashtag apps by 30 journey um that's my 30 fitness journey and so honestly i'm working out body image stuff right now so let's be real that anything i say is very i don't know I, I'm I'm learning. I uh, know my body can be healthier, and I'm just uh, I'm recognizing some unhealthy ways I'm viewing my body actually mm-hmm. throughout this whole process already. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out are the things I'm doing helping or like compounding. I, I mean, some of the, sometimes I'm not sure. Um, so I I have the go ahead. I was just gonna say it feels like a, such a moving target sometimes because I'm someone who's like you know i think we'd all say like you and me are both like pretty staunchly body positive like whatever health looks like for you do that yeah Um, and that means that you are a fat person and that's just that's what how your body works sweet yeah um or if you're someone who like this is like the part like where i get like really uh uh introspective and i go in on myself and like I'm, i'm i'm really questioning my own motivations to the point where i was like i don't think that I have an unhealthy mindset, but maybe I do. And it's this part. 
like the fact that like I started working out recently and like like committing to going to a gym a couple times a week feels good a because like I regardless of what the outcome is like I need to be more physically active as a human because it's just good for my health and I am quite able-bodied and so just like it's a privilege to be able to to move my body the way that I can right um um, the, the other part of it though, is just like, you know, what are the result? Like, what is the goal here? Because like, if I just say, Oh, I want to go because I want to be healthy. Like that's not specific enough for someone like me. Yep. Um, and so I, you know, you talked about like wanting to do apps by 30 minutes. You know, I bet I could do that as well. And I, and like, what's so interesting is because like, I am someone who's so body positive and I want to be like conscious that there are certain standards of beauty that have been set up for us for both men, women, and, you know, right. non-binary humans just like what does beauty look like period yeah and it looks a very particular kind of way from those lenses and whether or not we like it we are either working within or like against them so like we acknowledge that the standard exists and so like we're trying to buck that in some way yeah um and so like it's like this weird thing of like okay why do i want to work out why do i want to have a body that's like you know considered traditionally attractive and Mm -hmm is it because I hate myself or is it because like, I feel like I can do it. So like, why not? Or is it, you know, and I come down to it of like, well, sure. Yeah. I kind of do want my body to look a certain way. I wouldn't mind it if it did. Like, I don't, I know that my worth is not found in that. Yeah. Um, and then I also think it's like, are you just lying to yourself so that you can like, <laughs> you know, not go deeper into your own shame around your body? Yeah. And I don't, Gosh, I know it's real because I'm out here in LA now, almost two years, uh, coming up on two years, which is still blows my mind. It both feels like really short, but also like really long at the same time. Um, But you know, there's the the LA gay stereotype of you know the the WeHo gay of the perfectly chiseled, you know, kind of thin body. Um, But you know, it's there's some real kind of body image stuff going on just in the air in LA. And we just have to acknowledge that, um, that this entire city is all about appearances and trying to, the culture of the city is trying to look their best uh, for the sake of getting somewhere. So they're, the idea of looking a certain way is a means to an end. And they want to be consumed in some way uh, for their benefit or, of some, something like that. So I just recognize I'm just firmly within that culture. Um, and so this is, this is where I even have my questions of, of like my own motivations and things like that. But here are some things I do know for me is that I, maybe when I was 24, 25, um, I started dancing some, I've done theater my whole life. I was considering like, Hey, do I want to like try being an actor? Yada, 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 things and stuff. And so I started taking some dance classes and I danced for a year and a half, two years. And, and that was just literally just because I loved dance. And it was a thing that I was like considering doing with my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in the best shape of my life. I was, thin. I, my, I was connected to my body. And again, just because, because I'm in the best shape doesn't necessarily always mean thin, you know, I'm in good shape now and I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily super thin yet. Um, 
So like it's health is a moving target and it doesn't mean one thing for one person or even one thing for their entire life because your body changes throughout your life. But I did, as I, I remember last summer, just starting to realize that at the end of grad school that I hadn't been very physically active and between all the papers I was writing and working at a coffee shop and working at a, um, at an espresso machine, uh, just, I was hunched over. I, uh, was getting winded walking up like too many stairs. I then I weighed myself one day. I was the heaviest I'd ever been. And I just knew just instinctively like there's a part of me that I know is unhealthy just shaming myself because I want to be seen as attractive and fit. I want to be seen in a certain way that I'm not. And I don't necessarily think that was always the healthiest motivation. But there's also a sense of I know that this is that something better is possible for my body, that I've been super fit before. I've been an active person and had a body that I liked and appreciated and felt comfortable in. And that's just not me right now. And uh, I also knew that it was available to me and that my mental health, my emotional health and physical health were all better uh, when I was super active. And Mm -hmm. Uh, considering my body as an important piece of my health as I do anything else spiritually, emotionally, or mentally. So that's what, that was kind of the, the switch for me that I was like, all right, so then just do something about that. And that's when I started my hashtag abs by 30 hashtag snack by 30, because I'm going to be snack was the idea. I'm going to eat snacks. And I'm going to eat snacks. Oh my gosh. Can that be the theme of your party? Like a snack party? (laughs) A bunch of healthy snacks everywhere. And like there's also healthy snacks in the room. You know what I'm saying? I'm a genius. You are a genius. See, the original idea was if I actually got the abs, which, you know, tracking it out, my birthday's in a month and a couple days, it's we're we're not gonna be quite there. But I still feel fine about that. I still feel fine about it. But um I was gonna have an ab revealing party. so we'll just let your imagination run with that one but that was going to be my birthday party but if that ain't possible a snack party would be great a snack party i love listen all things are possible through christ who strengthens you yeah that's right and everyone can just come dress like the snack they are whatever makes them feel the best about themselves Um, i'm going to put like a bunch of Ritz crackers all over my face. It's going to be like Ritz cracker couture. Girl, don't do that. That's so many carbs. What about a cheese dress? A meat dress? What if I bring back the meat dress? Meat breakfast. Now that. Now that is keto. Like show, like show, like a charcuterie dress. A charcuterie. I'll serve. I'm gonna show. I'm gonna. I'm gonna um, serve charcuterie off of my naked body. Oh my gosh! But you know how they serve like sushi off of naked bodies? I. You know, I did not know that. <laughs> Oh, that's like a whole thing that models will like be like lying on a table with like just sushi over their naked body, which is like incredible opulence and like probably like a little probably unsanitary, but also like I don't want to have cured meats all over them. Like when I think of kink, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm going to stop before I... Uh, I just am so glad we always there. have this moment and it's always recorded. <laughs> Yeah, the thing about me is just like I say shit like this all the time, and like I just like 
I've, I'm so glad that I like myself now because before I would have been like, oh my God, that's so weird. I'm just like, yeah, that is so weird. <laughs> it is weird, but that's okay. I love it. It's fun. And that's another reason I love you is because you accept me as I, I am. I accept all of you, all the weird shit and all oh, the amazing thank shit. Thank you. Yes. You know what? I, I want to talk about one other thing. Okay. Too, is that um, is something that I've seen in you um since you moved to california um i think you like jokingly called it like the california version of darren was that you i i don't know if i've ever said that but like i know what you're saying (laughs) i think yeah because i think miles actually said this like you know like we have a mutual friend eliel who moved to new york and eliel became the new york version of eliel yeah and like i moved from like the boonies of georgia to atlanta i became the atlanta version because i think that like I'm decently like a very Atlanta now. Like I know you are places. And, yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I love that about myself. Yes. And I think that like there has just been for both of us, regardless of what city we're in, there has been this blossoming of both uh, owning, like loving, like learning to love where we live and embracing it fully. And I think the other part has been just the owning of the beautiful identities that God has given us, like learning to become comfortable in our queerness and yeah. in, and also still being people who long and are striving to do ministry work within the church. Yeah. I feel like there's a level of affirmation of self that I see in you that mm-hmm. I don't think that definitely wasn't there when I first met you. No. Um, and it, it grew as we knew. Cause I mean, I, in the Atlanta space, I never was fully and publicly out. And that's just a, that means my full self was never at the table there, um, mm-hmm. which is not healthy. I couldn't flourish and I couldn't thrive in that, in that way. Um, and I could have done that work to, to come out and do that in Atlanta. Um, but with grad school and all the other life circumstances that happened, just moving made sense. And so when I moved mm-hmm. here, like from day one, I was just out to everybody here and mm-hmm. had to go through that process of meeting people and identifying myself as a queer person in all these circumstances at a conservative, especially on this issue, uh, seminary and um, in some church spaces. And I did that process when I was here, even though I wasn't necessarily out on social media when I moved here, I was just an out person. And that just changed everything. <laughs> it just changed everything about how I was able to love myself and in Atlanta, in the space I was in a non-affirming church that um, I was a pastor at, that I had changed my theology while I was working at that church and um, wasn't able to stay there because of that. Um, mm-hmm. That was just not, I. it's just one of those moments where you just recognize, like, I could not have lived my healthiest and best life in that same space. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. so moving out here, I feel like I really just had opportunities that I just didn't have in Atlanta. And it really is. It's like the, it's like the LA version of Darren and I'm, I ain't mad about it. Yeah. LA version's nice. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. Like it's just, I think what's cool about being queer and Christian in this era and like getting to see this iteration of the church begin to blossom mm-hmm. is that, we're at the very beginning of something that actually might work. Yeah. For the first, you know what I'm saying? Do you get that feeling? I'm just like, Oh my God. It's like, not just that we're dreaming about something, but this actually might work. Yeah. We're dreaming about it. We're doing it. And we have hope. 
because I, I think there have been iterations and I want to like make sure we're like showing respect to all the people who have been doing this work for, you know, the last 30 yes. years before you and I came on the street, the scene and even much longer than that. But yeah. like, there wasn't always a sense of hope. There wasn't always a sense of even having the ability in the people to do the work with because so many people were closeted and uh, you just didn't know who to do the work with. Um, and we're see we already are seeing some energy behind it. So we're in a very unique time. And I, I'm actually, I guarantee you every era of queer history before this was unique in its own way, in its own ways of like, fighting for rights or acceptance or tolerance or, you know, policy, all those things, but specifically in the church and uh, being queer people, we have opportunities like we never had before that have been afforded to us by so many people who have done so much work before us. And so now we have the opportunity to do more work and it's, and I just have so much hope right now. I mean, even the UMC conversation was kind of a blow, but at the same time, seeing the the ways that so many churches are still standing in solidarity with LGBTQ people mm-hmm. was one of the most beautiful pieces of fruit that came from the work that everyone had been doing in the UMC, that yeah. people were doing this not because of policy precedent, but because they knew what was right. And right. I think we're just going to start seeing more and more of that. Um and I mean, for it's, you know, it's not going to be like perfect or super easy, but we are in a unique time and yeah. we get to do this. Like we are privileged to do this work. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be wild. It's, and it's already it's, wild. Let's be, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. I mean, like, I think back to just like three years when I first came out, like I could, I couldn't have told you that this is where we would be. <laughs> no, oh, surely no. Cause I, I mean, and it's also what gives me a lot of hope too, is like, like you said, kind of the UMC situation. I, I think the number was like, they went from like only like a, maybe like 135 congregations called reconciling congregations, which were the ones that were like specifically, doing the work of LGBTQ reconciliation, they doubled, they went to like 750 congregations. No. Identified that way. Damn. And, I didn't see that statistic. Um, I only know that because I talked to uh, somebody who's like on, like works for their staff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see how things are evolving and moving forward within that space, because I, and that gives me hope. That gives me hope that like, even however this all shake is I was like are you I don't know I don't even I don't even like I try not to speculate because I'm not a part of that space right um, yeah not a, I just want I, I kind of just wanted them to I told this to somebody else I was just like I kind of hope they split and like have an affirming version of UMC mm-hmm. because I like the UMC by and large yeah 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 um so I wouldn't mind uh Right. Moving on in to well, that kind of space. And like, I hear the calls for unity, but, and like, I honor that. And, but I also just recognize that like the ship has sailed on unity. Do you know how many denominations there are in the U.S.? Yeah. So that unity seems like a, an unhelpful argument in some of these conversations. It's pointing at something that like pretending like something already exists that doesn't. Um, yeah. And like I said, unity is really important. We have to be moving towards each other. 
and celebrating both unity and diversity of thought and all these kinds of things. And, um, but just staying together for the sake of like, Oh my God, I don't like, we can't do this. Unity is so important. It's like like trying to save the marriage for the sake, like we're going to stay together for the sake of the kids. Right. If you try to stay together for the sake of the kids, you are probably just going to, unless you can resolve the issues, Right. You're yeah. Going to continue to create an unhealthy environment for the children. And right. so when I look at the UFC and I look at the queer babies, I'm thinking I'm just like, literally for the sake of the children, y'all need a divorce. Right. Y'all need to like stop doing this to yourself. Yeah. There are some kids what... that need to be raised in environments that affirm their sexuality, and there need to be parents that have the option to raise their children there. Yeah. And, and that's what I feel like with this with New Abbey, like the number of people who walked into our doors and this is their first time in their entire life in a space that affirms a faith space that affirms their sexuality and gender identity exactly as they are for so many of them that is their first time and then they become a part of our church and we realize that two months in like god this person is just had their first two months in an affirming faith space mm-hmm. and just thinking about all of like just the people that don't have to worry about that. They've always been in spaces uh, that affirm their sexuality um, and what it does for us queer people to finally recognize the kind of um, energy and uh, the kind of fertile soil it gives us to actually grow into who, uh, who we're supposed to be, who we're called to be. Um, it's a really, 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 beautiful and it's also tragic because the reality is that's there are way too many fucking people who have never been in a space that affirm their sexuality and their faith Um, yeah and i think that's it's so hard especially for queer like christians who have to come out is that oftentimes they feel rejected from their churches immediately so they like you know i'm gonna go to the queer community because that's that's the people who are gonna love me and keep me in and then uh, I know, so I hear so many stories of, of queer folks who go into queer community and queer spaces and like there's not anyone to like affirm their faith right? or to like allow them to say, hey, it's okay to still be Christian if you want to still be Christian. Yeah, no, I've had, and, I've had pushback from a few queer people on just when I officially publicly came out, there are people from my past who are like, why, like, why? <laughs> why is the Christian part still a part of your life? And I'm and I'm like, well, because it is, and I still have faith. I pressed into the faith, and there's a time I thought I might lose it, but like the reality mm-hmm. is, is that there it was something much bigger, um, and yeah. something so life giving. And I actually like affirmed my identity because of my faith, because yeah. of the way uh, that I held the Bible and looked at it and learned what it was actually trying to do for us and how to handle it. That's what changed my theology. Um, it was the Bible. So there's just so much, it's so complicated. And yeah. I had, uh, a, I had um, one of my friends, Laura Beth said, um, she's a trans woman. She said, so many people look like I, um, like I had to uh, affirm my faith in order to transition my gender. But mm-hmm. she said, what I had to do was affirm my gender to transition my faith. Mm. Laura like, Beth, she's amazing. <laughs> and that is a like, that's- beautiful sentiment. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's this thing of like, f- like we're so afraid of like our faith changing and like, and, and that's the same thing for me. Like I had actually had an Instagram uh, DM the other day from someone who like, she's like, I don't know anything about Christianity, but like, I'm just really confused. Like, 
Christianity seems like this really shitty, shitty thing for queer people. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why are you still a Christian? I'm like, I said, mostly because I choose to be. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really what it comes down to is like, I find value in the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. And even if that's all it is, like, I, like, I would say like, you know, like I, if someone wants me to leave the term Christian behind, sure, you can leave the term Christian behind if that makes you uncomfortable. But like, for me, like, I can't not follow Jesus and I don't know how to explain it beyond that. Yeah. Like, it's like, I, I signed up at age nine. They, they got me early <laughs> and I'm, and I'm still like for better, or for worse, I'm still in it. And same. I, I mean, wanted, there's something, there's, there's some real honesty that comes with just recognizing that you can't undo or completely take yourself out of the faith tradition or just cultural traditions that you grew up in. Those are so much a part of your wiring. And sometimes for the worse, you know, we, we come out with very toxic things that we grew up in. But there, for me, like just recognizing that I can never go back and like not be an evangelical growing up. That's just not an option. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just, I recognize that is firmly the culture and tradition I find myself within. And I still have found life in it. I've discovered that some pieces of that were toxic and I'm doing my work to, to weed that out and figure out how to reconceptualize that within a healthy framework. Um, but I'm still holding on to this thing, not because I have to, but just because it's true. And, um, and it's going to keep evolving. I probably will recognize I still have more toxic things that I don't recognize or toxic ways of thinking. And this whole thing evolves. And if there's anything that the universe shows us is that things evolve, <laughs> Are, you know, like, yeah, everything, I, everything. Um, now, except for the humans, they definitely got here about 6,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also I would just want to add a uh, world's flat. World is flat. Know, Who so, knew? Um, I'm just really, really glad that we settled this for the people. Yeah. One note else is flat is some karaoke bar singing. That stuff is really flat. Yeah. Flat like um like my the pulse of my love life. <laughs> just flatlining, you know? Uh. That was my conversation with Darren McKenna. You can check out Darren across the internet at Darren McKenna. That's D-A-R-I-N-M-C-K-E-N-N-A. And then check him out at DarrenMcKenna.com, as well as his work with The Christian Closet, which can be found at TheChristianCloset.com, as well as his beautiful, fantastic, wonderful, inclusive church, New Abbey Church uh, in North Hollywood, and also there's a campus in Pasadena, and you can find that at NewAbbey.org. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 140 incredible humans on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's the easiest way for you to support the creatives in your life that are making the content that matters. So if this podcast was important to you, if it's been a source of inspiration or help or whatever, I'd really love for you to become a sustaining partner on Patreon. So please head on over to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia to learn how you can become a sustaining partner. And let's make this uh, let's make this work a little bit more of a reality. You know what I'm saying? I think that's everything for me today. Oh, 
Wild Goose Festival. I forgot to mention that. I'm doing a live show at the Wild Goose Festival this summer. So be sure to get your tickets and come hang out with me. Um, you know, my friend, the Rev Sarah Heath, Science Mike, Mike who's going to be my awesome guest there. All the info and tickets can be found at wildgoosefestival.org. That is my last talk. So until next time, why don't you go ahead, take your meds, call your person, eat some food, go see your therapist, or at least set up an appointment with your therapist. I have a therapy appointment next week, and it has been like a month to some change since I've been to therapy because I've just been so freaking busy. But you know what? In times of stress, what do we do? We press harder into our self-care. We make sure we're taking our meds. We make sure that we're eating our meals. We make sure that we're calling our friends when we need to. I'm on the struggle bus right now. I could use your prayers. We're coming up on the end of semester. I'm going to make it because I've got amazing humans like you who are supporting me along the way. And I just want to make sure that I can support you as well, even if it's just through encouragement and words on a podcast. So just know that you are fucking incredible. And I hope that the rest of your weekend, I hope today goes well. I hope your entire life is full of joy. Okay. I love you so much. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye now. Bye now.